Good morning again. How are y'all today? I just want to, before I get started, thank Doug. He uh, shot me a text message Friday and said, uh, are you speaking Sunday? And I said, yeah. He said, are you singing too? And I said, I'm scheduled to, but I would love not to. And he said, I had a feeling. (laughs) So uh, he stepped in and they met here at 9.15 or so this morning and got all that together, and it was awesome. Thank you all for that. Great music. Um, we're blessed. Have a, I mean, even just right here in this room, we're blessed with all the people that we have that are willing to step up and serve, and that's just a reminder of that today. So, um, I'm going to go a little bit different today than I had planned. Um, I'm going to read kind of a brief obituary. I promise we will not end on a sad note. Um, we'll hang there for a minute, and then I hope this encourages you today and frees you a little bit today from the busyness of life um, that we get so entangled up in. But uh, Albert Woodrow White, born May 13, 1917, to James and Belle White, married Catherine Tora Powell on March 24, 1940, two days before her 19th birthday. He had his first child, a daughter, Alice Jane Wyatt, on March 17, 1944, and his second child, Melissa Jo Wyatt, who's my mom, uh, 14 years later, two children 14 years apart, so it's like starting all over, uh, on August 17, 1959. He worked odd and end jobs in his younger days, worked security for the Hugo Power Plant in Fort Towson for several years, and he also spent many years driving an ice cream truck for Culvert Dairy Products. So he was a, a man of humility, he uh, never served in a huge role, but he was my granddad, and he's still my hero. And he passed away when I was four years old. I did not know any of that, any of those facts about him, dates, none of that, as a kid. And it didn't matter at all. Um, the dates were not important. But the time that he spent with me was very important. I, I have a really good memory. Meredith, uh, she calls me out a lot of times about how well I can remember details of some things. Some things. Not all things. It seems like the things that should be important I can't remember very well, and the things that (laughs) aren't that important I remember every detail of them. But as a child, I have a lot of memories from three, four years old. I know that's uncommon for a lot of people. I sit down with several of you guys in this room, and I talk about my story, and everyone that's heard it has uh, definitely pinpointed that I have a lot of details about my younger days. (laughs) And I had a great childhood growing up. I just remember a lot about it. And uh, I think my granddad had a a big part in that. He died on October 20th, 1992, at the age of 75 from a heart attack in his sleep. Um, There were two other people in the house with him, and I was one. My grandma was the other. And uh, like I said, all these details, these dates, um, where he worked, the date he got married, the date his kids were born, that didn't mean anything to a four-year-old kid. He was just my granddad. I didn't know what job he had had. He didn't have one when I was staying at his house. So uh, this is an example of a typical eulogy or obituary that you would hear read at a funeral. Someone gets up and they give the highlights about someone's life, the, the, the high notes, birth date, death date, marriage date, what job they had, what kind of person they were briefly, and that's it. And we miss all the good stuff because you have to be there for the good stuff. And everyone knows that. You have to be there. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning is time, where we spend our time. And that's what makes all the difference, who we spend it with, and how we spend it. So um, 
my memories of my granddad. I remember going fishing with my dad. My brother's four years older than me, close to that, three years, nine months, something. Um, details. My dad took us fishing, and I've always lived, I grew up a mile down the road from my grandparents. That was after my first move. We moved a mile and a half down the road from my grandparents. I was, we was within probably 200 yards of them the first year of my life that I don't remember at all. I don't remember that part. We lived in a little trailer house on their property. Mom and dad bought a piece of land about a mile and a half up the road from them, a mile up the road from them, and we moved there when I was one. So from that point on, I was a mile from granddaddy and nana. And my dad's parents lived in Warner, so I saw them two or three times a year. But the relationship with them wasn't as close. I still loved them, but the ones I was with every day, we obviously had a little different bond, a little different relationship. So um, I was there at their house. My mom and dad would go to work, and as a kid, that's where I was every day. And as I got older, my brother went to school, so it was just me and them, and it was hangout time. We watched soaps, and we uh, cooked breakfast at like 10 in the morning, and we had a good time. So my dad took us fishing one time in the pond behind my grandparents' house, and we were not catching anything. My brother and I both had poles. I need, do you have coffee? I was going to get some. Thank you. My mouth's getting dry. I haven't drank anything today except for one cup of coffee earlier. Um, we were fishing behind the pond, or, or at the pond. Um, I had a pole. My brother had a pole. It seemed like we were forever down there. It was probably like five minutes. But it seemed like we were down there in eternity and not catching anything. So I got bored. My brother got bored. My dad got bored. So we went in the woods back behind there. We was planting some leaves. And when we came back, my brother and I, our poles were stuck in the ground, sticking up. And both of them had a perch caught on the fishing pole. And our granddad was nowhere to be found. We thought it was like a miracle had happened. How did we catch fish without even fishing? And we got back to the house, and I didn't know it was him. At first, it had done that, and then he started giving us little hints. Y'all catch any fish down there? And I was like, well, we didn't, but when we got back, our poles had fish on them, and he was like, I wonder how that happened. You know, he went down there and caught some fish and stuck our poles in the ground to see if we'd, you know, think a ghost had done it or something. Um, he always called me by my first and middle name, Clay Wesley, every time. Um, if I was in trouble, if I'd been good, whatever, it was always Clay Wesley. It was never just Clay. And uh, he would play guitar. My nana liked to talk on the phone to her friends a lot. And my grandpa's a musician, so you don't really want someone playing guitar loud in the background while you're trying to have a conversation. So he would go. They had kind of a shotgun-style house. He's building a circle. So you could walk. You know, if you walked in and you turned right, eventually he's going to be right back where you started at. And so you go in. There's the kitchen, living room. Um, then you turn left, bedroom. They had three bedrooms. One was added on later. And they had a bathroom in the dead center of the house, which used to be the pantry. Because the house they lived in was so old, they didn't have indoor plumbing when it was built. So they converted their pantry into a, a bathroom later on. So um, he would play guitar in the back bedroom. That's usually where I was, sitting back there listening to him play, because I didn't really want to hear all the gossip that was going on on the phone. Um, he always sat in his recliner with me. Every time we get through eating lunch, that would be where we were at. And it all just kind of blends together. I just have a few memories of that. But sitting in his recliner with him, watching as the world turns, was kind of a daily ritual. And I would usually fall asleep, and he would go lay me in their bed, and I'd wake up from the nap, and we'd keep on playing. Usually by that point, they'd already picked up my brother. But he had spent a lot of time with me. He was retired, my grandma was retired, and I was with them every day. We didn't do anything extravagant. They never took me to Six Flags. They never, you know, if we went to Walmart, I was impressed. And uh, you know, we spent a lot of time at the house. He had a little BB gun, and he'd shoot locusts out of trees. I know they're not real locusts around here, but they're still locusts. Um, we'd shoot locusts, and he'd put them in a little um, coffee can. 
and use them for fish bait. And I thought that was cool. He had these old window weights that he pulled off the house and we made a little fort and that was our booby traps. We'd set up stuff like that. And just play, just spent time with me. And I never will forget those first few years of my life because of the, the time he spent with me and the impact that he had on me, not doing anything extra, extravagant, just being there, just being, just reclining in his chair with me. And I think that everyone in this room probably has similar stories to that. Uh, yesterday was a very sad day at our house. Our uh, puppy that we've had for 11 years, I call her puppy still because she was tiny, uh, something got her in the woods yesterday. And I got her for Meredith November, for her birthday, November 2006. And she's been with us through every move that we've made. Um, I, was a, I was a senior in high school, and Wanda Davidson, who's passed away now, was at my church at Grant. And she raised these men-pin dogs. Her and her husband were into horse racing, and on the side they raised these men-pin dogs. And she gave me one. And mom and dad would not let me have it. It was Meredith's birthday coming up, so I convinced Meredith's mom and dad to let me give her a dog. <laughs> and I think that they regretted it at first, but obviously she hung around for a long time. But when I brought her to Meredith, she could fit in your hand. And, you know, it's a dog. But everyone in here probably has a, a pet loss story. And, I mean, it, it hurts because they're there every day. Uh, you're not talking to them. You're not having conversation with them. It's not a person. But when something like that happens to them, especially when you spend so much time uh, with them, it hurts. It hurts the whole family. The boys have asked about her over and over, and we tried to explain to them, you know, she's in a better place now and all that. I don't know the theology behind that. I don't really care. Um, I, just wanna, I just want them to not hurt. <laughs> That's it. So uh, I'm going to start crying about the dog now. I didn't even cry about my grandpa. I'm going to cry about the dog. <laughs> um, we know that t through time and mourning, those things, they get easier. But the pain of that's always there, especially with people. Uh, my grandpa, that pain's always going to be there, knowing that, you know, he he passed away when I was young, and those memories that I have are all that I have, and and that's where I want to be today. Is those memories that we make, the time that we spend with people. Um, at the end of the day, that's really the most important things that we have. So I was reminded twice yesterday, actually, that uh, life is temporary. Uh, the first one. About 11 o'clock in the morning, Meredith called me and let me know that our dog was yelping in the woods, and um, she stopped. And I got home and looked for her and couldn't find her. And so I kind of figured out what had happened, and then after she never came back home, that kind of, you know, affirmed it. And then last night we had our premium sale dinner, so it was a busy day. And we had wrapped it up about 8.30 um, with the last kids in the sale, hauled some animals back to the school, and came back and had some pie pans and stuff I needed to pick up, and Brian gave me a pan of pulled pork, and that was definitely worth staying around for. Um, but Meredith called me while I was in the middle of doing all that, and our niece, Elizabeth, uh, almost drowned yesterday. She's three. She's four months older than our boys. And she was in the pool in the backyard of her parents' house, and they had to resuscitate her and do chest compressions on her and everything. And uh, you're just reminded how quick, and she's okay. She stayed in the hospital last night. They monitored her. Uh, to make sure fluid in her lungs, you know, wasn't going to have any complications from that. She's fine today. She was um, back to her old self again. It's a great ending to something that could have been really bad. And uh, just those things remind you how fast life can go. Um, this week was really busy for me, and I know all you guys have a different variation of business and a different idea of business, and everyone has different things that they're going to this and that, and we're trying to get all the, the list of things we have on our checklist marked off. And it seems like the more things we mark off, there's three or four times that many that we've added to the bottom of that to get done. 
I'm going to keep drinking, sorry. So, in that, when those kind of tragedy things happen, we, it, it always makes me step back and start reevaluating real quick, just in my mind. What's important? Why am I doing all this stuff that's not really as important as just being, just being at home, Me, sitting in a recliner with somebody? So, uh, there's a scripture I want to eventually get to, but death is scary. Death is very scary. And the reason I think that it's so scary is because we have very little control over it. Um, we know that God has already conquered it, but being here in this life, um, it's hard to understand that completely. We're still fearful of it. This life is what we have. It's all that we know. And the more we, we spend time with God, we realize how much more there is, but it still doesn't take away from what we see. So death is scary because it's permanent. There's no takebacks. Um, I remember... If any of you are old enough, I'm sure several of you are in the room, maybe you don't remember this because you're too old, I don't know. <laughs> the, Ninten the original Nintendo, the NES, the kind that had the flap that flipped up. I think I've told this story before. But I remember playing that with my brother as a kid, and there was no memory cards, there was no save your game. Like, if you got to level 10 in Contra, you better keep on shooting because it was going to be over if you got game over. So me and my brother would play that, and if one of us would start beating the other on the very few two games we had, we would hit the reset button. And that would shut it all down, and we'd start all over from scratch. And uh, as convenient as that was for the one losing, that's not how life works, and we know that. So that's why death is so frightening to us, because we, we don't want to miss anything here, and we don't want to lose anyone that we have here. And it's permanent. We know that it is. And we had talked, last time I spoke, I talked about the garden and, and God making us eternal. And there is hope in that, and knowing that our souls are eternal. And just because this physical life ends doesn't mean that we end. And we can still be, there's still hope for a future with, with the people that we love and everyone that loves God in heaven. I spent a few weeks at youth talking about heaven, and that's one of the big things that we landed on is it's all about a relationship with God. That's it. He just wants to know if we love Him, if we know Him, and if we're living a life for Him. That's really, if you get down to it, those two commandments that Jesus said were the greatest ones, that covers everything. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love people as yourself. Every other thing, the Ten Commandments are going to fall into place. Every other commandment that we've ever been given through Scripture is going to fall into place if we love each other. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew 9, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 is where we're going to start at. And we're just going to talk about being. Um, I read the obituary for my grandfather covering those highlights. And I definitely want to be, I don't want that to be our focus when we're talking about our relationships with people. God desires to know us completely. And in that, it's not just a busyness of life that we get into where, okay, you're taking the boys to the doctor at 10. I have this thing at 8. Um, we'll, we'll get lunch at noon. Um, that's not what it's about. All the things we maneuver around to make happen for our agenda is not how we get to know people. How we get to know people is just spending time with them. It doesn't have to be anything planned. It can just be being present. So in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, this is where Jesus calls Matthew to discipleship. And as Jesus passed on from there, I'm reading an ESV. I'm going to read it up here first, and then I'm going to read an ESV second so you guys can hear the one word that's been changed. I want to focus on that a little bit. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's, ta tax, blah, tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
We see this a few times when Jesus called Peter. Uh, the first one, he says, follow me. And he did. So obviously there was something about Jesus that would cause them to leave exactly what they were doing and their livelihood to go do that. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Mark has taught for the past few weeks on being a living sacrifice and, what's that, and what that means. And Jesus was definitely speaking to those religious elite who they, everything that, that went wrong, they would cover it with a sacrifice. Take a goat, take a calf, it's all done. And Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees, the one that have been, you know, they've been living by the law, they've been the good people doing God's work. He's saying, I'm not here for sacrifices, I'm here for mercy. And what that means is he wants to know them. He wants to spend time with them. So I'm going to read an ESV now. One word is different. It says he was eating at the table in the New International Version. In the English Standard Version, um, it says reclined. He was reclined at the table. So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table at the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is just interpreted a little bit different because of the culture that was going on in that time period, Judaism. So a lot of things were centered around food. Um, people tend to be that way. We still are. Um, when they would sit down together to eat, though, like when they had Passover, that usually happened around midnight. Everyone's kind of tired. They'd already been through their work day. They were sitting down together, and they would sit back and recline. They'd make pallets on the ground. They would have food tables set up, and they would just hang out, recline back, eat, and visit about their day, visit about what they were thankful for, and they would just spend time together reclining. And the Pharisees called him out on this. He said, why are you reclining with them? Those are the sinners and the tax collectors. Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you just chilling with them in modern terms? And Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the ones that didn't need I came, I came for the ones that need it, and these are the ones that need it. I came for the sinners. I didn't come for sacrifices. I came for mercy. So he's telling them that he's not coming to the ones that know God already. He's coming to the ones that don't. And the last thing Jesus said to us before he left, he sent us out to let people know about his good news, to spread the gospel, to baptize people in, in his name. And when, I re when we read this, it's real easy to see the Pharisees in this, and you see the part where we're supposed to hang out with the ones that maybe people don't want us hanging out with and stuff. But it's really easy to miss that recline part. Um, a lot of times we want to hang out with the, with the sinners by, you know, there's nothing bad with this, and we do this by going there and taking a meal to the, jail, to the people in the jail. That's, that's perfectly fine. Show them some love. But if we're not willing to go hang out for a little while and talk to them and get to know them, does it do anything? And we don't know if it does or not. And we try to every time we go over there. A few of us go over there and we, we talk and we pray with them, hoping that that will start a relationship. It's not about the food. The food is a gesture of love from us. It's about the relationships and wanting to know that someone loves them, someone cares. That's why we do it. It's not to check off gay food to the jailmates, the inmates. It's not about that. It's not about Jesus sitting with the tax collectors because 
this is the good thing to do. I came because I want to hang out with Matthew because he's not a very good guy. And if I do that, then God's going to love me. That's not what it's about. He hung out with Matthew because he wanted to get to know Matthew. He wanted to know Matthew's struggles. He wanted to hear him. He wanted to sit with him. He wanted to recline with him and eat the food that he was eating. And Jesus is our ultimate example of the way we should live our lives. And that's what we strive to be. And if we're not willing to slow down a little bit and recline with some people and just hang out and just be, then I think we're missing the point. And yesterday, as I was reminded over and over how temporary life is, um, that's really the only thing I thought about is, is what's important. Obviously, knowing God is the most important thing that we can do in this life. And then second to that would be loving others enough to tell them about Him. But then where do we go from there? And I think this is it. I think just taking some time to recline with those people, to hang out, to be present, um, that's what makes all the difference. Our little dog never said a word to me. Shocking. <laughs> um, but I knew so much about her just because she was in her house every day. The boys wake up 5.30 to 6.30 usually every day. Pray for us. Um, but, yeah, we, don't, we, it's, we slept in this morning until 7, and that was, like, awesome. But Pixie would always sleep in her kennel until about 9 or 10. She had it figured out. And I'd open the kennel up after we'd been up for a few hours, especially on a weekend. Meredith would do this every day. Let her out. She would go outside, take care of her business, come back in, take a nap. She went up for, like, an hour, ready to take another nap. And if I was ever sitting in the recliner... If the boys would let her, she was sitting right next to me. A lot of times they kicked her out because they wanted that extra space. Um, but she would try over and over to get in the chair with me just to sit in the recliner. And she would ne- it didn't matter if she just woke up from a nap. She was always down to take another one right then. If you're going to sit down, she's going to be right there in your lap ready to take another nap. And um, Romans chapter 1 tells us that God reveals himself through creation to us. That there's no excuse for not knowing of God because he's revealed himself to us through creation. And... I can see that through our dog, that sometimes it's okay just to put everything on hold. Not that her agenda was completely full, but uh, just to put, put everything on hold and just be present with people. Uh, I know in my own marriage, there's nights that both of us are too wore out from the day to have a conversation really about anything meaningful. So, you know, we'll go through a day, put the boys to bed, and we're both in bed, and we may not even say a word to each other other than, good night, I love you. But we're there. We're present. And eventually, when we're rested up, we'll take the time to catch up and talk. And I think that's the way most relationships work. And I know, growing up, I would beat myself up a lot. If I hadn't read my Bible that day, you know, it's, we teach kids that in, in vain, I think, a lot of times, is that you got to have your Bible, set, your quiet time every morning. We've spent a lot of years teaching that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're only doing it for the checkoff list, then we're missing the point. God wants us to be present with Him. In every moment. It's not about checking off the list. I got my 10 minutes in. I read the book of Galatians this week. That's not what it's about. It's about being present with the Father. Being there with Him. Even through your exhaustion. Even when you don't have the time to put in to open your Bible and read. Or the energy to. Just acknowledging who He is. And understanding that you have a relationship with Him. And being present with Him. And allowing Him to be present in you. Don't worry about the the do's and don'ts. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. That's a very good thing to do. I'm just saying that if you didn't today, it's okay. God still loves you, and the relationship is not about reading about Him. The obituary I read about my granddad, everyone in here could read that and know the day. Okay, he was born in 1917. 
That was right during World War I. That's probably a hard time. Was he a war baby? I don't know. And you're putting all this stuff together, and we do that a lot with Scripture. God wants us to be with Him. He wants us to know about Him. He wants us to read Scripture and know about Him. But He also wants us to spend time being with Him. And every relationship that we have is going to be stronger because of the time that we invest being there, being present. And uh, that's really all I have today. That's what I want to leave you all with. Um, I think I probably spoke shorter than I ever have. Y'all are like, yeah, that's awesome. But just be. Uh, death is scary. Life is even scarier, I think. Um, sometimes we're scared to put ourselves out there and risk being present with people because then they may know us, and that's scary. They may say something they don't agree with, and that's scary. They may have a different viewpoint about politics or religion than us, and that's scary. But that's the only way that relationships are built. And that's the only way that we're investing our time into people that matter. It's not about whether you uh, worked 80 or 120 hours this week. What did you do while you were there? What relationships did you build while you were there? And then when you went home, were you too exhausted to continue with the relationship with your family? Because you're missing it if you are, and I do that a lot. And I'm, I'm saying this for myself, just like anybody else in this room. Take the time to just be with the people that you love and the ones that you don't. Um, the ones that you don't, you'll eventually love if you spend enough time with them. And that's hard too. But um, as we go out this week, just be encouraged in knowing that God wants us to be. Um, he, he came himself and reclined with the sinners. And that's pretty dang cool. Because that means he'd probably come to my house and recline with me for a little while too. So uh, I hope that, that encouraged you this morning and frees you up. Um, you probably have to remind yourself every day, like I do, that it frees you up from the busyness of life and lets you prioritize a little bit. Sometimes we can't help the busyness. It just happens. But while we're in it, we can still be mindful that we're uh, taking the time to, to invest in people and get to know them and just be with them. So I'm going to pray, and then we're dismissed. Lord, we come today just thanking you for this uh, word you've given us, God. Thank you for sending your son. God, thank you that he set the example of us, God, not to judge anyone, God, not, not by what they're doing, God, especially if we haven't take the, taken the time to spend with them. But thank you for coming down and hanging out with the sinners, hanging out with the tax collectors, God, dying on a cross for their sins, but God, most of all, getting to know them for who they are and then showing them who you are and showing that we can be nothing in this life that means anything without you. God, thank you for the life that you give us and the moments that you give us. God, let us be mindful that the time that we have in this world is limited, even though a lot of times we live like it's not. Let us not take any moment for granted, but show the ones that are close to us that we love them in every moment. God, whether that's in words or in actions, God, I pray that we're just present while we do that. God, I pray that ones that need you, God, we would not be hesitant to spend time with them too, God, and get to know them and build relationships. God, thank you for the relationship that you have with us. Let us be reminded of that as we go throughout our week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.